This is Silver Linings, a podcast where we celebrate stories of social impact, shared by students, alumni, faculty members, and special guests of the Singapore University of Social Sciences. Previously on Silver Linings. Let's face it, our crude birth rate is 1.1. We will not replace ourselves. So even if we have children, the children may not be able to look after us. We will be dependent on volunteers or nursing home or community care. How can we attract a bigger pool of volunteers to come in to learn how to do caregiving? It's very hard to find people to join us, right? Yes. Home, be it in home care or yes. sensitive care, particularly local students or local people. So manpower shortage is one big challenge. The other challenge is possibly coordination between agencies so that we can work shoulder to shoulder mm. rather than having various turfs so that families may find difficulty in enrolling their elderly relative in mm. a particular, uh, say, sheltered home or daycare because they only follow a certain geographical boundary, for yeah. example. Are there any other kind of challenges uh, that you think uh, society is facing today that we really need to urgently pay attention? How about finance? <laughs> Did we talk about this one, the finance issues? This is what I face. Family comes in and we talk about, so I'm, I'm the manager. So the last part of the whole assessment comes to me. And I say, okay, this is how much you need to pay. So in the end, so I'm so sorry, cannot. It's too expensive. And sometimes I, I wonder, in, in Singapore, I think government encourage the students to stay and care for their parents, right? But because they stay together, they don't qualify for means test. So if they don't stay together, maybe they qualify. So this group of people, maybe they earn a bit more. But they are... <laughs> they are at the borderline, is it? Yes. So they face a lot of difficulties. Yes, yeah. yes. Services if, if, need yeah. to be affordable. Particularly, you can see, right now our economy is slowing down and the next three, four years are going to be a big challenge. Very tough. So how will people pay for these services? Would they withdraw their elderly from the services because they can't afford to pay anymore? Yeah. The current policy from MOH, Ministry of Health, is mm. everything is means-tested. Everybody is means-tested. Home care is also the including same, Including home right? care. Yeah. And there are four different tiers. Under intermediate and long-term care, ILTC sector, that's where we are from. Under this sector, the government they give a grant of 10% over and above. They call it discretionary deviation. In other words, if your receipt or if your turnover is, say, a million dollars, they give you 10% for your discretionary deviation fees. So under means test, if this client, you feel that needs help but doesn't qualify for help, you can use this 10%. However, it's not... I'm waiting for your however. <laughs> 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 yes. Yeah, this, go on, go on. <laughs> this is subject to your immediate superior, your director's uh, discretion again. No two families are the same. This family may be earning ten thousand per capita income. This family may also be PCI at ten thousand. Although two are similar in income, one 
you know for a fact that they will need more help. So as a social worker, I'm able to intervene because I'm able to write a social report and stress how needy this family is. Because within the 10,000 PCI, they have three children and an elderly, three disabled children and an elderly that is dementia. Whereas this PCI only has one. But that doesn't mean this is less deserving of this family A. But as a social worker, we are able to help write up a social report so much so that we can use this 10% discretionary. But do you feel in future you will need more than 10%? I was coming to that. 10% is not enough. Not enough, right? It's not especially enough. with the fallout of economic activity. This period of time, especially. At this period of time. So all of us have to think carefully. How do we tackle the next five years? Because elderly population is going to increase and nothing can stop that. People in the dependent category will also increase because I've spoken about the aging of the aged population. Those in the 80s and 90s and 100s are going to increase. But we also need to think for the next Maybe my generation. <laughs> so we understand technology a bit more. So mm. looking back at my own centres, the activities that we provide to the elderly, I'm thinking five years or ten years down the road, we have to change. We cannot keep it this way. So recently we started something about digital ambassadors for the seniors. We try to teach the elderly to learn how to use their smartphones so they can send WhatsApp photos to connect. Because now COVID, right? The family cannot visit each other. So I think, oh, this is a good opportunity, you know, to start. Because some elderly, they want to see their children and their yes, grandchildren. Because yeah. that is the source of meaning yes. in their life. So Their dear ones mean a lot to them. So when they cannot hug their grandchild, they really feel very miserable. Yeah. So we have to think about, you know, down the road, how technology can help. In this elder care, I think it's very important. I wrote up some very good programs. Yeah, they they give out uh, tablets or tablets. tablets. Really? Oh. And the subscription is as low as five dollars a month. A month. So going forward, technology may be one of the way to solve the immediate problem. So when we look at interventions, maybe we can look at how digital technology can help us deal with some of these issues and provide solutions. For example, telemedicine, tele-rehab, sensor boards, so that elderly who live alone, if they don't come out of the bed, the sensor board will. So for our organization, we started already something called AIC actually wrote out virtual consultations. So, yes, so yes. we use Zoom or Microsoft Teams to assess the clients and just shorten the time so instead of coming to the center for two hours, they only need to like maybe half an hour. Right. Yeah. Right. So we can engage the clients who probably are sick, you know, uh, stay in the hospital for so long. Then we can engage them through these virtual consultations. That's right. So when we think about the next 10 years or 10 to 20 years, mm. how we will have to transform policies, transform attitudes, attitudes of elderly towards aging, to embrace aging as a journey, as part of life, and to make the most of that period of time. I remember I met one 90-year-old lady once, and she was someone I met just for the first time. 
And uh, this was in a foreign country. And she was asking me all about Singapore and our aging population and how we deal with the aging population scenario. And I asked her, you are so sharp in your thinking. You are so curious about the world, current affairs. What is it about your growing old that you enjoy? So she said something very interesting. She said, I see life from a wide-angle perspective. Mm. And she said, with our experience, we can see life in one second because we have lived so many years. Young people can only see a short-term perspective or a narrow perspective. We see the whole gamut of things. So we can share a lot with the younger generation. We can actually give a lot to them in terms of life's lessons. And I'll always remember that piece of advice from her. Experience has a lot of value. And I think value is what the seniors want. When they say, I feel useless, the opposite is, I want to be valued. Yes. And we need to share these to our younger generation, like to my daughters as well. So in the sense of, for example, now we have intergenerational programs. So the children, you know, from the childcare come to my senior care center. We mingle every month so that to start from young. Now, now the young children, they don't see the elderly. They don't speak the language anymore, right? So I think that's something we can do. Yes, to, to, to share. increase that uh, interaction. Yes, and not just them, you know, the children, maybe even primary school, secondary school, to encourage them to come, you know, to the elder care services as volunteers as well as what Ellen mentioned, you know. As volunteers, yes. As volunteers. You, you, you would see, no, we, we can also have collaborations between services, not necessarily within the organization. Even your organization runs the whole slew of service from early intervention all the way to elderly, but it can be from different organizations. Mm. For example, under your PCF, your NTUC center care. Yes. And you can have another PCF, Sparkle Thoughts, the kindergarten little kids. Yes. And you will see the glow on the face of the elderly yes. when these get together. Yeah. We started like five years ago when my center first month into operations. So we worked with the next door Sparkle Thoughts. We also work with NTUC, you know, once in a while. So I think this is. I mean, Ellen is really, really true. You can see that it just sparkles in, yes. the, in the face. It's not just the elderly, the children as well. In the first week, probably they are a bit timid. And so I want to shake hands again. I don't want to shake hands. <laughs> you, you really see them glow. The yeah. face glow. But after a while, you can see the two groups are mingled together. It's, it's such a beautiful picture. That's right. Yeah. So you really can have what we call uh, kin. In society, they mm. may not be biological kin, but they're still kin. And that feeling of family can be grown. I wish this COVID will pass away soon so I can bring the elderly and the children all go up together. So I think we have to see how our gerontology knowledge can mainstream the understanding of ageing, mainstream understanding of coping with caregiving, so that it becomes common knowledge and not something that is kept only for a particular degree or a particular diploma, but rather mainstreaming this knowledge so that everybody in society can understand 
can apply, can also use it as a resource. Yes. So I think public awareness is very important. <laughs> yeah. So you and I, Ellen, we need to try our best, work harder. <laughs> yes. yes. But we can also use television. We can use social media, use Facebook, Instagram, just to promote the sharing of these kind of stories that uh, other people can feel inspired and think that, oh, maybe I can also use this in my way of handling my grandpa who is now 105 years old and uh, he's just sitting there and doing nothing most of the day. Maybe I can do something with him or her. And this can actually make for a society that's more aging-friendly. Yeah, more inclusive as well. I feel that we have to be more resourceful. As a service provider in the community, we are dealing with people and family members who are at the, as a caregiver, they are at different stages in terms of caregiving. So they come to my centre and sometimes ask for help. So for me as a manager or I work with my nurse and the therapist as well, we try to help them. So we have to be knowledgeable as well and, and resourceful. So knowing Ellen, so it's very important, right? So <laughs> when a client oh, cannot come to daycare anymore, oh, I have Ellen. That yes. is why you have the alumni. <laughs> yes. So you just pick up the phone, call your friend. Oh, Ellen, please help, please help. <laughs> Networking helps. That, that's why I also advocate between VWOs, we should get to, to know each other. That's right. And the alumni should also use the network, mm. perhaps to give each other support if you're caregivers or to help your clients. Just, hi, do you have a space? I need urgently to get a space in your nursing home or daycare or community hospital. And this is how you break down the barriers mm. and the bureaucracy. That, that, that was how we work with AIC. AIC is a referring agent in this case, or SG Enable, also a referring agency uh, for the disabled. During the interim, when nursing homes are full, and these patients or these clients were meant to be admitted to a nursing home or any institution, adult disability home, in the interim, when these homes were full, they will always call and say, Ewa, do you have a temporary shelter or do you provide home care mm. during this period of time? So it helps. That's right, yeah. And uh, sometimes professionals working in these settings, they themselves can burn out because they're doing this work day after day. So having a network supports you in your professional work as well. Mm. Just like social workers can burn out, same way. Elder care workers can also burn out. So what can caregivers who are suddenly thrust into the role of caregiving, what can those caregivers do? We talked earlier about being trust in the role of caregiving. Do you all have any suggestions on that? What could they do? Where can they go for timely help? I do have a walk-in, you know, people who are in the community, in the, the residents, they stay nearby and walk into my office and ask for help. You know, my mom or my dad, you know, I, I don't know how to care for them. What should I do? So usually I will listen to them and then find out what their truly needs are. And a lot of times I will refer them to look for AIC, we call Agency for Integrated Care, if they're able to. If not, sometimes I also help them 
to search for them, to teach them how to go to the website. You know, this is what you can key in your home address. And there are so many different types of services near your home. Then sometimes there's, oh, really? I don't know. So I think as a service provider, these are the things that we can help them. And I will encourage the caregivers, don't be shy. Really go out and ask your neighbours and maybe walk into the centres near your home and talk to the more professional people. So maybe, yeah. So you're Alan you're correct. More, mm. Then MSF has also decentralised their operations. Mm. They now have more than 25 SSO. SSO is Social Service Office. <gasps> and they are all around the island in the heartlands. So help is available if you know where to find them. And I'm echoing what you have just said. Mm. Do not be shy. If you need help, go look for help. SSO would be able to refer you to all the agencies that uh, whether it is uh, home care, centre care, nursing home, rehabilitative care, they would have all the lists with them. Whether it is financial help, rehabilitative help, or institutional help. Or even go to your CC, you know, nearby. Yes. yes. Yeah, because yes. My, as for me, I work closely with the CC people. So sometimes they also refer uh, the elderly to my centre. So. Yes, mm. yes. Actually, we should be collaborating and networking yes. more closely. Yes. So that in the end, the caregivers or family members who are perhaps in a crisis state mm. can be helped. I would also like to mention that with the generation in their 30s and 40s, many of them are tech-savvy, so they can easily find apps. For example, recently there was an app launched by AIC called Dementia Friends, mm. or Homage has its own app. Then there's an organization called Jagami. They have their own uh app where somebody who wants immediate service can just key in their address and what service they need. And within a day or two days, they can access the service. So very importantly, the caregiver must understand that they should not waste time. Sometimes time is of a critical feature here, you know, especially if it's a stroke patient. The rehab care must be given quickly. So these are ways by which our agencies have ramped up their services to make it easily available on websites and apps, as well as friendly digital volunteers, health ambassadors who may be able to help and maybe just a phone call away. Yes. So I think at the end of the day, we would like to inspire our audience, our listeners out there, that if you ever face a problem in care for your elderly relative, don't be shy. Mm. Just pick up the phone or go to the website and start searching. So are there any takeaway points? Ellen, I start with you. Any yes. takeaway points the takeaway for point today's discussion? Is, I'm so glad that today we are able to catch up again. And the takeaway for me is networking is most precious. Networking and collaboration, for without which we will be isolated as an island. Very similar to what our then Prime Minister, Mr. Lee, once said in 1959 when he said that Singapore should not be an island physically, but we should collaborate with every nation. <laughs> so similarly, in a small way, gerontology should not be an isolated service. 
it must collaborate with all other services. Sure. Thank you. I just want to share um, with all the caregivers out there, be it you, know, you are caring for your parents or professional carers, just want to share that we are not alone. We are all here walking the path together. We will try to support each other. Ellen and I and even Kariani, we are all in this together. I think the future is bright. I just want to encourage many people, young people, <laughs> or people who are in your mid-career, you know, switch or whatever, come and join this sector because it's such a meaningful work and with lots of satisfaction. So we have to look ahead. <laughs> Don't look back, look ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm very happy to catch up with the two of you today. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, <laughs> it's been such a wonderful afternoon uh, spending this time together to share and also to look in the future because the longevity revolution is here to stay. It's not going to go away. So we have to look for opportunities for young people as well as career switchers, how the industry, which is now called sunrise industry, mm -hmm. you know, it's not a sunset industry, this elder care sector. So with the sunrise industry, there are many opportunities, job prospects, as well as opportunities for ex-caregivers to come on board Come and reinvigorate yourself and be able to contribute in whatever way you can, whether it's volunteering or whether it's second career or third career. I have ladies in their 70s coming to do Master of Gerontology course. And they say, am I the oldest student? I said, no, you're not the oldest. <laughs> I hire staff in their 70s. Wonderful. Close, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, as long as they can physically do their yes, work, yes. why not? And I'm very proud. <laughs> yes. yes, I'm glad mm. you know you can see their potential. Yes, because I think everybody has some potential. So to the listeners out there, I would say thank you for listening, and I hope you also saw some silver lining in our conversation, and we have shared our insights, our suggestions. And we hope Singapore can be an even better aging society in future than what it is now. Wing and Ellen, thank you for joining me once again. It's been really, really lovely to talk to both of you. Thank you very much for inviting us. Our pleasure. That was Chan Wing, Senior Centre Manager with PAP Community Foundation, and Ellen Wong, Manager of Home Care Services at AWA a social service agency. I'm Kalyani, and thank you for listening to Silver Linings. This episode of Silver Linings is brought to you by SUSS Podcast. To learn more about today's episode, you may find complimentary content at suss.edu.sg slash blog. For more podcast episodes, visit suss.edu.sg slash podcast. Coming up next on Silver Linings. One of the biggest things I think about mental health. Yeah. Just that people are different. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Yeah. I think a lot of it has to do with labeling emotions as bad emotions, mm -hmm. like anger. Mm. A lot of times when I have clients who have anger management issues, I always tell them rule number one is 
you can be angry. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm not going okay to teach angry. you how to yeah. not be angry. Yeah. yeah. You right? should be angry. You should yeah. be angry. <laughs> yeah. But how you respond to your mm. anger, mm. Yes. that's entirely in your control. Yes. Yeah. And that one we can work on. Yeah. Mm-hmm.